Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. (laughs) You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I'm going to continue now reading from the book of John, chapter 8. And I'm reading from verse 31. I'm going to read verses 31 to 47. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to, unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is God's word. Well, friends, do keep that uh, second passage from John chapter 8 open, if you would. We've prayed for God's help, 
There's a little outline on the back of the service sheet, if you'd like to look at that. Uh, Carolyn read verses 31 to 47. Last week we focused on 31 to 36, the first little bit, and we're going to focus mainly on the rest of it today. I want to start with a question. Why do people hate Jesus? Or perhaps let's start with the historical question. Why did people hate Jesus? I don't know if you've ever wondered about that. Here is a man who went about doing good. He gave wonderful teaching. He healed people. And yet people hated him. Why? It's a strange paradox, isn't it? Most people, when they get hated, there's some valid reason why they might be hated, but not with Jesus. Why do people hate Jesus today? Why, even in our hearts, if we're Christian people, is is there a reluctance and a resistance sometimes to bowing to Jesus as Lord? Now, we've got a very challenging passage. It's a difficult passage. And one of the big themes is is, is paternity, fatherhood. Just have a look with me, if you would. Verse 33, which we looked at last week. We are Abraham's descendants. And then verse 37, I know you are Abraham's descendants. Abraham is our, our father, our forefather. Verse 38, I'm telling you, says Jesus, what I've seen in the Father, God the Father's presence. You do what you've heard from your father. Verse 41, we're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God. Fatherhood, paternity, really, really big. Verse 42, if God were your father. And then, I suppose, the the, the dreadful punchline, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil and you want to do your father's desires. And fatherhood is an enormously powerful and evocative thing, isn't it? Since beginning to think about this, I I just keep noticing things in the lives of famous people which relate to fatherhood. Audrey Hepburn, the actress, whose father left the home and how gutted and what a dreadful effect that had on her for the rest of her life. Winston Churchill whose father, Randolph Churchill, had a dreadful relationship with him, and how even in 1947, when Winston Churchill was one of the most famous people in the world, he had a sort of daydream that his father was there in his study, and, 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 and he could tell his father all about all the wonderful things he'd done. And uh, Alec Guinness, the actor, who never knew who his father was, he said, I have to admit my search for a father has been my constant speculation for 50 years. And again and again and again you find for famous people that the the question of father and fatherhood is enormously important. And if that's true for famous people, um, I guess that is true for us. Paternity. And it affects our nature. And Jesus says an extraordinary thing. The passage we're reading is is one of the most hot polemics that you find in the New Testament. It's not a sort of calmly um, ordered political, uh, you know, television um, interview where, you know, one party leader quietly asks for permission to speak and the person anchoring it says, yes, you have your word and then someone else quietly speaks. It's not like that. It's like an old style political meeting with heckling and interruption and rotten tomatoes and so on. I mean, it's it's, it's a really wild meeting that we're reading, reading the account Um, of. And in it, Jesus says, 
that every human being has, has one of two fathers, forefathers, spiritually. Either God is your father or the devil is your father. It's very striking. It's very polarized. It's very shocking. And of course, our instinctive reaction is to say, Jesus, that is absurd. You might want to quote the novelist Henry James, who said, never say that you know the last word about any human heart. And surely the point about people, the point about us, is that we are nuanced, we are complex, we are difficult to discern what's going on inside us. And yet in the midst of that, Jesus says you have one of two fathers. Either God is your father or the devil is your father. Now he's speaking to people who hated him and who wanted to kill him. It's very striking in John's gospel. We can... We can f- 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 Look at that um, another time. But in verses 31 to 36, it's a strange paradox. He offers freedom to people who don't want it. So they've believed him, verse 31, in a shallow kind of of way. They've been impressed with what he said earlier in the, um, the, 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 the chapter, the meeting with them. But it does prove to be very, very shallow. And Jesus offers them freedom. Verse 2, the truth will set you free. And verse 33, they say, well, we're already free. We don't need freedom. And today we're going to see why it is, what is it in the human heart that resists what Jesus Christ offers. Now, there's a lot going on in this. It's not tightly and neatly structured. As I say, there's a lot of interrupting going on. Jesus is interrupted in this section of the gospel, probably more than perhaps anywhere else. People are constantly interrupting and shouting and interrupting him. There's a lot going on, but I think at the heart of it, as well as paternity, there is a lie. Just trace through with me, if you would. Verse 32, Jesus says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 37, he says, you've got no room for my word. There's a lot about what Jesus speaks. I, 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 I'm, I'm speaking truth, and you haven't got room for my word. Verse 40, he says, I'm a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Verse 43, he says, you're unable to hear what I say. So there's a great deal about that. Verse 44, he describes the devil as a murderer, And as one who does not hold to the truth, there's no truth in him. He lies. That's his native language. He is a liar. Verse 45, I tell you the truth. And because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Uh, Verse 46, I'm telling you the truth. Verse 47, hearing what God says, not hearing what God says. Now, this lie takes us right back to Genesis chapter 3, which is why we had that as our Old Testament reading. Right at the fountainhead of humanity, the devil says, God isn't good, God's law is not valid, God's judgment isn't going to happen, and you can be like God. 
So God had said to the first man and woman, I'm giving you everything you need and more, but I want you to trust me that that tree is out of bounds. I want you to trust me. You don't need to understand quite why that is. I want you to trust me. That's out of bounds. Don't go there. Don't eat that fruit. And the devil says, I wonder if he's really good. I wonder if you can trust him. I wonder if his law is valid. I wonder if that boundary is really a boundary. I wonder if if you eat that fruit, you really will die, because I don't think you will. I think what will happen is that you will be like God. And that lie that was sown and spoken and believed right at the fountainhead of the human race has gone into the human bloodstream ever since. And I think we're going to see in this, in this passage what happens when the whole human race becomes infected with that lie. And the liar who spoke that lie becomes uh, the, 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 the kind of forefather of the human race in a kind of travesty of what it ought to be. And I want us to notice some of the themes. First of all, I want us to notice, mostly in the first part, how the lie makes us hate the truth. So Jesus says, verse 37, I I know you're Abraham's descendants. That's what they've said a little bit earlier in 33, we're Abraham's descendants, we're heirs of the promise. Um, But you want to kill me because you've got no room for my word. My word for Jesus is the revelation of the Father by the Son. Everything Jesus speaks and does makes the Father known. The good God makes him known as Father. And you haven't got room for that because you've believed the, the lie. And therefore you're trying to kill me. Now, here's, here's the thing. Why does believing the lie lead to hating the truth? Because the lie says to me, the liar says to me, you, Christopher, can be like God. You can make your own decisions. You can live your own life. You can trash God's boundaries because they're not genuine. There's not going to be a judgment that follows. God isn't good. If you abandon God, you're not going to lose anything good. You'll be fine. In fact, you'll be better. You can be like God. And so when a man walks on earth and makes the Father known and brings the good God into my view, I'm not quite as keen as, as, as I'm, you might expect me to be. The Danish um, writer Søren Kierkegaard tells in one of his, he wrote a number of stories, and one of his stories was, I'll update it slightly, but it, it was of a, a, a common farm laborer, a, a very sort of humble man, a, a farm laborer, and he's in a great kingdom or empire, and the king sends him a message saying, I would like you to come into my palace and I would like to adopt you as my son. And Kierkegaard's point is that the laborer would have been delighted if he'd had a message from the king inviting him to a garden party in the palace, if the king had offered to be his friend on Facebook. I am updating it slightly. If the king had offered to be an associate, somebody whose name this man could drop in conversation, I was talking to the king the other day, that would have been fine to be associated with the king. But when the king says, I want to adopt you as my son, that is much too threatening. Much too threatening. 
Because once he's adopted as his son, his autonomy is going to be lost. He's going to have to walk the way the, 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 the father walks, the king. I've been reading some poems by the um, strange Jesuit uh, priest Gerard Manley Hopkins, and he puts things sometimes very vividly. And in one of his poems, he says this, Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself. Myself it speaks and spells. Crying, what I do is me, for that I came. Very perceptive, isn't it? That's what we all do by nature. He says it's like a bell tolling. That's what there is inside me. Myself, what I do is me. And I'm threatened by that. And so Jesus says, your hatred of me proves your paternity. So verse 38, I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. I'm making the Father known, the God who is good, the God whose law is true, the God whose judgment is real. And you cannot be like God. And you're doing what you've heard from your father. Abraham's our father, they say again, verse 39. And Jesus says, no, if you were really Abraham's children, then you'd do the things Abraham did. Abraham was a believer. We'll see this next week. Abraham loved God. He trusted God. He obeyed God. As it is, verse 40, you want to kill me. I've told you the truth I heard from God, but you've believed believed the lie. Abraham didn't do that. You're doing what your father does. We're not illegitimate children, they say, verse 41, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, not like somebody we know. We've had rumors about your conception. We're not illegitimate. No, no, no. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus says, if God were your father, you'd love me because I came from God and now I'm here. I haven't come on my own. He sent me. So let me just pause there a moment. When you and I believe the lie, when the devil says to us, and we're born believing this, that God, if there is a God, is not good, and because God is not good, his law, his boundaries are not valid, they're just arbitrary, they're just to spoil life, and his judgment is not going to happen. I can trash those boundaries and no harm will come to me because God isn't good and therefore to be separated from God isn't going to do me any harm. No, no, you can be like God. I can be like God. That's the lie. And when I believe that, I will always hate the truth. The lie leaves no room for the truth. And that leads us on to the second thing, which is really the second part, that when I believe the lie... It makes me deaf to truth. So Jesus says, verse 43, Why is my language not clear to you? Why don't you get it? And of course, those of us who have tried to explain something of the truth of God to others will often have thought that, why can't you get it? And others will have said that with us in the past. People will have spoken to me in the past and thought, why can't you get it? Why don't you get it? But Jesus doesn't ask the question because he doesn't know the answer. He gives the answer straight away. You are unable to hear what I say. You can't. 
And Jesus knows as he speaks, as he makes the Father known, as he teaches, as he works miracles, he knows that by nature people can't hear it. And the reason is that the lie is expansive. Once I believe that God is good, not good, once I believe that I can be like God, once I believe that lie, that lie leaves no room for anything else in my mind and heart. I've been reading, I'm reading a fascinating history of uh, Abraham Lincoln and some of those he worked with in the, the, the American Civil War and the abolition of uh, slavery. So it's, it's a gripping, gripping story. But one of those he worked with used the, 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 the phrase, an irrepressible conflict. Lincoln himself said this nation can't exist as half slave and half free in the run-up to the Civil War. It's not going to work. You can't do that. And it is the nature of the lie that it enslaves the whole of us. The nature of the lie. Once I believe that God is not good, once I believe that I can be like God, once I begin to live like that, and we all do, that is our natural default. That is the poison that's entered the bloodstream of the human race. I'm born like that. I grow up like that. Once I believe that, there's not going to be room for the truth because the truth in its very nature expels the lie. And once I believe the lie, I, I, I cannot believe the truth. And so verse 44, Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil. I take it the Lord Jesus wants to shock. I take it that he knows that that is a shocking, that is perhaps the most offensive thing that a human being could ever say to any other human beings, you are of your father, the devil. You claim that your father is God. You claim that your forefather spiritually is Abraham and therefore ultimately God is your father. You claim that you're insiders. No, you're not. Your father is, your forefather is the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. That's how fatherhood works, isn't it? You know, you, you like father, like son, even if you kick against the traces, kick over the traces at one point, so often you sort of revert and, 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 and the kind of desires and values that your father had, that my father had, those are the things that, that, that will shape us in the absence of something very remarkable. And that's what you want to do. And you, he, what are his desires? Well, he was a murderer. God says you won't, God says you'll die if you trash my boundaries, if you walk away from me. He says you won't die. And by that lie, he murders. And the first human being takes the fruit, trashes the boundaries, and death comes into the world and decay. And all the misery that we experience in a broken world comes in through that. He's a murderer from the beginning. Because he didn't hold to the truth, verse 44. There's no truth in him. He's a liar. When he lies, that's his language. He cannot do anything other than lie. He's been saying that ever since the beginning, God isn't good. <coughs> his law, his boundaries aren't valid. His judgment isn't going to happen. You can be like God. Again and again and again in different forms. <coughs> that is what he has been saying. And the problem with us, friends, is not just that we have <coughs> believed it. The problem with us is that we have propagated it. The problem with us is not just that we've believed it, but we've committed ourselves to it. Every time we have grumbled, we commit ourselves to that lie. 
Every time we are filled with self-pity, we commit ourselves to the lie that God is not good. Every time we succumb to temptation, give in to temptation, we, we give in to that lie that God is not good, that his boundaries aren't valid. Again and again and again, we believe the lie and we propagate it. I was reading a history a while back by a, a scientist about a, a, a sort of paradigm shift in scientific or mathematical theory. It was about chaos theory for those who are into that kind of thing. But it was a really interesting book because he was saying, this writer was saying, when this, um, this theory was propagated, uh, most scientists wouldn't have anything to do with it. And it wasn't for scientific or mathematical reasons. It was because they'd committed themselves to another paradigm. It wasn't just that they believed another paradigm, but they'd been teaching it all their lives. So their identity and their reputation was committed to it. And I thought that's a very, very good picture of us. It's not just that I believed the devil's lie that I can be like God. It's that I've, I've, been, I've been telling it to others in the way I behave that I can be like God. When I worry about my self-esteem, I'm telling people I can be like God. Or if I can't, it's really bad. That's the big problem in my life because I want to be like God. That's why my self-esteem matters to me so much. And I've been propagating the lie. And Jesus says, that's your problem. And verse 45, it's precisely because I tell you the truth that you don't believe me. If I was telling you a lie, you might well believe me. <laughs> but because I tell you the truth, because I make the Father known, because in my life and my teaching, I proclaim to you and demonstrate to you and say to you that God is good, he is Father, and therefore his boundaries are right. And therefore to trash his boundaries and turn from him is going to lead to death. His judgment is real. You will die. And therefore you cannot be like God. Because all of that is true, you don't, you don't believe me. You can't prove me guilty of sin, says the Lord Jesus. That wonderful question that none of us would dare ask. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? And the answer, verse 47, is that if you belong to God, you'd hear what God says. If God was your father, if you were children of God, and therefore children of Abraham spiritually, and therefore loved Jesus, then you would hear what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. Now, friends, I want to do two things. Well, I want to do one little caveat and then two things before... I finish. The, the, the caveat is, is this. You read through John's gospel, and John quite often, as a shorthand says, Jesus was speaking to the Jews. And if you know some, some history, particularly 20th century history, you'll know that the, in the history of anti-Semitism, uh, you are of your father the devil, has been taken out of its context and used, particularly by the Nazis, in an anti-Semitic context and propaganda, to say you, i.e. Jewish people, are of the father, your father is the devil. In a, in a dark irony, those who have done that have proved by their own deceitfulness and their own murderous intent that it is they whose father is the devil. And when Jesus says this to the Jews, it's not an ethnic thing. Jesus himself and all his first followers were Jews. It's not an ethnic thing. The Jews to whom Jesus was speaking were just like religious human beings of every age. 
every human being who becomes religious, and I include atheist religion in that, every human being who, 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 who gets their self-respect and self-esteem from, from being attached to some religion or some philosophy, maybe atheists, maybe some, one of the world's great religions, it may be a cult or a sect, maybe any sect, it may be anything. Any human being who, who attaches themselves to a religion and says, this defines me, this is, this is what makes me good, this is what, what makes me respectable, the, 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 the Jews against Jesus are, well, forerunners of all of us in that capacity by nature. So that's just the caveat. This is not anti-Semitic. But the two main things I want to say are this. First of all, I, I want us to acknowledge that this is a very hard and sobering passage. And that what the Lord Jesus is doing is in love, in shocking love, He is saying to us, I want you to look into your hearts and I want you to see what you are really like. I want you to see that at the heart of your fallen humanness is believing the lie. That right at the start of the human race, this lie was spoken and you've believed it and you've propagated it. And I want you to understand that. And of course, as most of us, I trust Christian people, that that warning helps us to be realistic about our own hearts, but about the hearts of others as well. And to understand that at the root of rejection of Jesus lies a lie. And the lie is that God is not good. Right at the heart, that's the, that's the, 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 the warning. So we do need to be warned. But I want to finish with this. It's a dark passage, isn't it? It's an angry passage. People interrupting Jesus, people who want to kill Jesus. And Jesus saying, you can't hear, you're not going to hear, you don't belong to God, you're of your father, the devil. It's a sort of verbal prequel of the cross. It's a kind of verbal anticipation of the cross, the heat and the anger of these enemies of Jesus and the patient love of Jesus as he, as he seeks to speak the truth is a sort of anticipation of what will happen at the cross. But I want to finish with this. Friends, if we have taken this on board, we will be thinking, yes, even as a Christian person, There is something still of that believing the lie. Even as a Christian person who has been adopted into God's family, who has been made a child of God, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. One who has come to Jesus and says, yes, I need the freedom of a child of God and has begun to experience that, to know what it is to be forgiven and to be be able to pray and to call God Father. And yet we see something of the residue of the lie in our lives, don't we? When we're anxious or frightened or self-pitying or grumbling or not caring about right and wrong. All the different ways in which in our different circumstances that lie comes to us. God is not good. And I want to say by way of, of conclusion what Jesus says in verse 36. If the son sets you free. 
if by faith you have come to Jesus. Many things not understood, many troubles, many things you carry around with you, questions and perplexities and anxieties. Even in the midst of all that, if you have come to Jesus and you've asked for that freedom that Jesus has promised, I want to say to you in the name of God, you will experience that freedom in the end. It's not a sudden thing. We saw a couple of weeks ago that at the head of this passage, Jesus says in verse 12, I'm the light of the world. And he's using that image of the fiery, cloudy pillar leading the people of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land. It's a long following. It's a journey with freedom at the end. So it's not that a Christian person says in a shallow, trite way, now I, once I was blind, but now I'm, I'm completely, once I was in chains, but now I'm completely free. It's that a Christian person says, I was in chains and Jesus has promised me freedom and he's begun to give me freedom. He's given me forgiveness of my sins completely. And in my life, I'm beginning to experience and learn that freedom which I will finally experience in the promised land, in the new heavens and the new earth. And I want to say at the end that as we face the darkness of our hearts, it can be a really hard thing can be a really hard thing. We come face to face with the murderer and the liar. And we begin to recognize in our own life that there are, there are, even if you've been Christian for a number of years, there are still vestiges of that lie there. If you're just coming to the beginnings of Christian faith, you, you think, yes, those things the devil said in Genesis chapter 3, I've believed them. I've listened to others who've believed them. I've watched others who've believed them. I've believed them. I still believe them, really. And yet I'm beginning to see that they're not true. And I want to leave us with that word of encouragement. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And to leave us with that word of gospel and confidence as I close. Let's be quiet for a moment. I'll pray and then hand back to Stephen. God, our Father, we praise and thank you that you are pure goodness and pure love. We praise and thank you for the Lord Jesus who came to make you known and who on the cross finally proved the error of the lie and demonstrated your goodness, your love, your truth, your holiness and your judgment. We praise and thank you that when Jesus died for sinners, that was the supreme revelation of your truth and love. And we pray that that wonderful miracle that enables us to call you Father might more and more shape and transform our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.